attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audience talk with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm dreaming of doing your own thing, or maybe you've had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host, Catherine McPhail, and I had with a special guest. Or will it be guests? from the Context and Clarity community. All of this to break down last week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we all share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. Let's get into it. Welcome to the backstage area of the Context and Clarity studios. This week on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine and I talked to Zach Waters. He's the founder and CEO of Black Swan Risk Management, and we wanted to know what our audience thought about the conversation with Zach. So we've invited Christian Nielsen Palacios and Tim Dearborn to join us backstage today. Christian is an architect in Ithaca, New York, and he's the founder of Nielsen Palacios International and Opus 2 MBE. He might call himself a non-traditional architect at this point because he focuses on helping other architects by reviewing and even translating their documents. Tim is the principal architect and managing partner of Architechnica in Stockton, California, where they specialize in public school design in the state of California. So Christian and Tim, welcome backstage. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to have both of you with us. And What's fun about doing these backstage conversations is that we can try to match up people with the topics that we've covered. You know, we that's one of the things that we, Catherine and I talk about is, okay, who would be really interested in this topic and, and the speaker that we've had or this guest that we've had on Context and Clarity Live? And I think both of you are the perfect people to have backstage with us. Uh, you've been really engaged all week in our Context and Clarity conversations. And um, and especially yesterday when we had Zach on. So um, maybe, Christian, if you can start out, what did you think about the conversation with Zach yesterday? Well, honestly, I thought it was fantastic. You know, I tell people, and especially my sons, that I know everything. But uh, he made me realize that I still have a lot to learn. 
And uh, I appreciated that he was very good at what I call compare and contrast, which, you know, I mentioned in places that that was a typical thing when I was studying for my master's in history of architecture, that you would have two slides side by side of something and you have to talk about what was the same and what was different. And I appreciated that he explained to us that insurance and risk management are not the same thing, that fault and exposure are not the same thing, and that professional liability and errors and omissions insurance are the same thing. So I, I love the way he teaches all of us. I, I thought that was very helpful. And then he also came out with his his four S's, which I know I will, uh, I'll probably mess that up as I try to repeat the four S's, but I uh, talked about what you sign, what you see. I want to say what you, s- no, that's, send. that's, that's already wrong. What you send. Okay, what, what are the four S's? Who, who remembers what the four S's are? I think Christian. Well, I have them Science, written down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Signing, seeing, sending, and saving. Okay. What was saving uh, again? So signing, so like what you sign, so contracts and stuff like that. What, what you're sent. seeing, what you're seeing, you know, when you go out to the job site or project site, and then what you send, you know, your emails, your practices, you know, those types of things, and all that stuff is discoverable. And then, of course, my lovely lawn guys are out there still going crazy. And then um, what you're saving, you know, what files you're saving, how long oh, you yeah. save them. That kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 Well, this morning in uh, Clubhouse, we also talked that some of us think that there's a fifth S and it's what you are saying. Because, uh, like I mentioned, I think we architects tend to be blabbermouths and and say too many things on the drawings and uh, say them in a different way in different places. And that tends to get us in trouble sometimes. Well, I think it also gets us in trouble what we promise. You know, we can say something in a meeting or say something that we're going to do something and either we fail to follow through or we or we do too much or going beyond what we should be doing. So I think there's something to that. And I'm, I'm probably very guilty of that. So, um, and, uh, and, and even what we share, you know, that's, you know, you know how much we share. Is, is another one too. And uh, so it's something to think about there. So um, I think, you know, in my, I, I, I feel a little um, with, with Zach, and Zach is my agent. So that uh, is, is something where I feel I'm a little bit biased towards what Zach had to say because I've been working with him for over a year. And uh, it was interesting that I met him through, uh, he just cold called me. You know, I think he saw me on LinkedIn and, and, and I, we may have even connected on LinkedIn before we started communicating, but uh, he cold called me and, and I was in the middle of actually renewing our insurance and I was a little disappointed in the service that we were getting from our agents and, and he's like, you know, okay, start out with professional liability and then I said, hey, do you do other stuff too? Do you do the general? Do you do the auto? Do you do the workers' comp? And he said, yeah, we do it all. And I said, okay, well, give me a proposal. And, and, uh, he laid it out very professionally. He showed me where he could save me, uh, saved us a lot of money, actually. And, uh, I think we've been, you know, hadn't been shopping around or hadn't been looking at it for a number of years. And, and, uh, it was good to get another person's perspective. And, uh, he was very helpful and saved us, you know, a good chunk of money, um, for, you know, the new renewals, you know, setting up with them. And then even this year with um, the pricing really didn't change that much on our insurance renewals, which was also good other than the cybersecurity that doubled. But that was, he explained that to me is that's more risk, more risk, you know, more claims have been made in the past year um, because of COVID and, and people working from home and, and other technological issues and stuff. And so um, it's like, okay, you know, we'll just have to watch it see make sure it doesn't get too far out of hand but yeah i i appreciate the he's there's something he said at the end of the conversation yesterday basically about i think he was talking about maybe a conversation he had had and or 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 maybe part of the architects and allies facebook group that he's active in on the 
Entree Architect side, but basically collecting questions and information that people are looking for so that he can produce content, right? So that he can answer those questions in the form of videos or, or podcasts or whatever um, in, in a very Gary Vaynerchuk sort of way, I guess. Um, I think that's really valuable. I had an idea, surprisingly, but I had an idea that what we could do is give him all of the questions that we collected yesterday at Clubhouse because we didn't get to ask him all of the questions. And those are things people want to know. So I was wondering what you might think of me sending him all those questions so that he could address them in some well, kind of content. Yeah, oh, he totally definitely see. do that. Yeah, he would I think do that, that would be. I, mean, he's, yeah. I think he's, I, I would just say he's a lot of fun to, you know, he's become a friend, which is also interesting. You know, we have these, you know, business relationships and then they develop into friendships. And so, you know, we started out, you know, it's, you know, LinkedIn and then it became, you know, you know, working in the business together. Now we're Facebook friends and we're, you know, Looking at pictures of his daughter, you know, her baby girl, and you know, she took we took him to her first uh, football game, you know, and she had the headphones on and all this other stuff, and you know, just really a great guy. I mean, I think that's one of the things that really makes it makes it easy to deal with those crazy issues about insurance and risk, and and you know, makes you know, it's it's it's, it's scary. You know, he Catherine, you talked about, you know, just kind of like how crazy it is and how scary it is and and it is and and um our insurance levels because of the type of work that we do i think are a lot more than what other people are paying um and it has something to do of course with gross revenue and, and some of that stuff but you know we're talking several thousands of dollars for for insurance that that we cover between you know our, our professional liability our auto our general liability you know workers compensation all those levels of insurance that we carry as a as a business owner but also as an employer um, they add up to a lot of money and yeah. uh, and then they're and then it's a do typically I mean he's like do you want to make payments or do you want to pay all at once well you make payments you're taking a loan out on some of those insurances. And so it's like, okay, no, we're going to pay it all at once, but it's a big hit. Um, you know, it's like October is an expensive month for us. So with, with all the insurances and stuff. And, uh, and I think Zach talked a little bit about that yesterday is that, you know, some of the other insurances that are coming up or coming about, you know, cybersecurity is a new one. Um, and, and we're not required to carry it. But I felt it was important that we do carry it because we um, do so much now electronically between, you know, with what we do with email, what we do with like OneDrive or Dropbox or Google Docs or, or any of those things. And then things like Procore and, and that type of software that we're working with with the contractor. Um, it's just so easy, you know, hackers can sit there and like make it look like it's an email from someone that you trust and they have a link and it's like, oh, they must be sending me an important document. And if you don't pay attention, you're not carefully, you know, looking at the, the wording of the email, you might go, oh, okay, no big deal. I click and then you're, you're hacked. You know, they're in your system. And, uh, so far, knock on wood, we've been very fortunate that we haven't had that problem, but, um, it could happen and, uh, it could really hurt us badly. Um, you know, if we get hit with ransomware or, or, you know, where we have to pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to sit there and, and get our files back, even though we have backups and everything else, it's still, it could affect us. Or if it goes on to our client, you know, for some reason that spreads to them and they click on it. And then it affects their systems and their system. They've got so much more that they're doing than we are. Um, it could be really devastating to them. So I, I know this has been in a way, sort of a grueling week uh, mm -hmm. for those of you that are listening, that are, are not familiar with everything that is context and clarity. We're on clubhouse on the clubhouse app every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And then we do at 4 p.m. Eastern, Inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, we have the hour-long live stream conversation, and uh, all week we have used risk management as a theme. So I, I know there are plenty of people that feel like, um, you know, we've kind of been putting them through the meat grinder this week, talking about risk management twice a day, you know, and digging into some of these things. Um, 
but but hopefully, you know, we're talking about some of the management part, some of the mitigation part. Um, I said earlier, I think before we went live here, that I felt bad for having to end that conversation with Zach yesterday. I think it could have gone for, you know, another hour or more. So one thing that, that I kept thinking was, and, and Catherine, you mentioned the list of questions that we collected. What are the big things that we didn't touch on with Zach yesterday? You know, with, with uh, Christian, I know you had some questions, and Tim, you had some questions, and uh, a lot of our uh, other audience members also had questions. What are the big things that we didn't get to in the conversation yesterday? I mean, I think I think one of the things I think people are asking about, and I see a lot in the contact or a lot in the Entre Architect group, is the misunderstanding, I guess, about whether if you're a corporation or if you're a sole proprietor or a partnership or whatever, where you know where you're, how you're protected in a liability standpoint. You know, um, you know, as a, as a design professional, my understanding is how it is is that if I stamp something and I make a mistake. Yes, I have that insurance to protect me, but that insurance will only cover up to so much money. And if the judgment is much higher, they can go after me personally. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter if I'm a corporation. I'm not. I'm a general partnership. But um, if, if we were incorporated, it would only protect me from what my partner does or what the other architects do in the office. It does it personally. But if I make a mistake, they can go after everything I own. If they really wanted to, and uh, being incorporated does not necessarily protect you from that. Um, I think it'd be good, important to have that conversation with Zach because that's how I understand it from talking with him and just dealing with you know what insurance companies have told me, what attorneys have told me, and, and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, general liability is a little bit different in the sense of you know if you wreck a car or whatever, you know they they not necessarily can go after those assets, but. Um, it's, you know, our personal, because we're personally responsible when we stamp and sign drawings. Um, and, uh, and that can carry along, be, you know, above and beyond what um, our insurance coverage is. And uh, we see in our contracts, too, that, um, especially with the public school districts, they say that there's no limits in liability. Um, you're not allowed to limit. You can't limit your liability to what the amount of insurance that you have. Um, you know, if it's a judgment of five million dollars and you only have a million dollars of of liability insurance, um, and you're at fault, they can continue to go after you and forever. I mean, until that's paid off. That's uh, very scary. And uh, you know, I've always been told that incorporating does protect your personal assets. So it sounds like that may not be true. So I wonder if you know, we could have one or more art, uh, lawyers be guests in Antarctic at some point. I think that would be helpful. So, so that they are familiar with not only California, but also Massachusetts and New York and right. other places. Uh, because, uh, you know, I incorporated because now that for the first time in my life, I'm working for myself, by myself, instead of being employed by somebody else, I do want to protect my home and my uh, few personal assets in case I make a mistake. You know, I thought that uh, the idea of what I'm trying to do by just uh, reviewing other architects' drawings to try to make them less imperfect, understanding, like uh, Zach said, that perfection is unachievable. It doesn't exist. But I think with my help, people's drawings could be less imperfect. But say I were reviewing your drawings, Tim, for some big school district project and uh, you made a mistake and I miss it and then you get sued what is my liability I didn't stamp anything right. you know so, so all those things are important for us to to know I, um, yeah, keep, I think it, yeah I think I'm, it's like go ahead I'm sorry I'm, well I'm just saying that I'm, I'm keeping yeah. my license yeah. because I think it gives me credibility in front of my potential clients but the kind of stuff that I'm planning on doing for the rest of my professional life technically doesn't require me to be licensed. So am I being dumb by keeping a license? Uh, But also, if you get rid of your license, what happens then? 
I mean, you're still liable for everything you've ever done uh, until that moment. I mean, can you ever not be an architect at that point? Like, can you can you get out of this whole thing? I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I guess they talk about when people retire, you can get tail insurance that can protect you uh, from that. And maybe it comes down to too is people look at you. How much? You know, what are your assets? You know, what are your? You know, what are your? You know, what's available for someone to take? You know, well, thankfully we don't get paid that much, so maybe yeah, there isn't know, that but, much to take. But I mean, it's still it's one of those things where they kind of like you know look to you as you know. Are you, are you, you know, the, the perception is, is that, you know, architects make a lot of money or, or, and, and that they have those assets that, that someone could go after and take. Um, even though you might not have any fault at all, you know, there's a difference between fault and, and, and your exposure is what one of the things that you talked about too, is that just by us participating in the project, we're exposed to potential liability. We may have not done anything wrong, but because, we have an insurance policy and because we have, you know, some, you know, we have an appearance of assets or whatever, you know, they will definitely name us. Um, and it may, you know, and our insurance company gets involved and they bring their lawyers in and, and, uh, they may settle and you may not agree with the set, the idea of being settled because you said, I didn't do anything wrong. And, uh, and yet your insurance company is paying out, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in your name uh, on something you didn't do. You didn't do anything wrong. Okay. It just it, was agreed. Yeah. You know? Anybody else here feel like we're jinxing things? We should just stop talking about it. Because honestly, <laughs> that's, that's the way I feel about it. Also, like, what if I just stopped being an architect and then just still designed houses? Because really, I just do residential stuff. You don't need an architect. So if I, I can never go back and not be an architect, right? I mean, it's too late. Well, what's the point of becoming a residential architect, like a licensed, registered, whatever you call it, architect? If you're just that's going to be a, that's working a great, on that's a great question. I mean, I, I, um, I guess I never thought of myself not being an architect. So, I mean, I think in my thinking of myself not being an architect, then I'm, I, I had to go through and do the whole thing. You know, I got to get licensed. Now, Grant, I'm only licensed in California, but I am NCARB certified. So if for some reason a relative of mine wants you know, me to design a house in Maine, even though Maine doesn't say no, work. Tim, because you don't work for family. That's what you Yeah, I know, say. I know. There's that too. But, uh, or they try not to work for friends either. But, you know, it's kind of like, but yeah, um, there's those opportunities. So maybe I decide I'm going to retire. My wife and I retire. We'll go back to Maine and, and live in Maine. And, and I want to continue to still practice architecture you know, doing whatever. I mean, technically, I don't need to be licensed in Maine to design, you know, small houses. I think there, there may be a square footage restriction or something, but, right. uh, but I mean. But I actually think that you can't, if you're licensed in another state, you can't even give anybody design advice in a different state. Like you couldn't, I don't think you could design someone else's house in Maine, even though you're not well, see, anyway. I, I feel that way. I feel what you're saying. I feel that way, Catherine. But I hear it, or we see it a lot on the Entre Architect board, you know, the, 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 the Facebook group and, you know, people are saying, well, I'm not licensed in Pennsylvania. You know, am I required to get licensed there? And people come, no, I'm, you're not required to, you know, you're single family residents, you don't have to be, but you can't call yourself an architect there. But you can't even practice if you're an architect registered in Massachusetts. I have been told I can't re- I can't work in Vermont or I can't work in Maine as an unregistered person. Okay. Yeah, so that kind of stinks. But also, mm-hmm. you know what is coming clear to me is that we actually don't know. We don't really know what we can do and can't do in our own profession. So it would be great to have some clarity on that. Well, so luckily, yeah, we tend to be afraid of uh, the law and uh, lawyers, and we try to avoid anything that even seems to be legalese and so uh having had more most of my profession been in the school uh design area with uh multi-million dollar projects and uh using the AIA standard documents I mean modified like uh Zach said yesterday to protect not only us the architects but also the the client from possible problems that could be the fault of the contractor or something like that. I just don't get, well, I, I kind of get it, but people who do just single family homes seem to be deathly afraid of using a 20 page AIA contract. Well, that is protecting them and their clients. 
And, uh, you know, Zach said that uh, absolutely we should use the AI contracts, but realize that they are just a template. But I was thinking the other day that to me, that's like if you were a medieval knight and you had the, your, your, is it called coat of armor, the, the whole shielding outfit and whatever, and you decided, okay, you know, I can do without the left boot and I don't need anything in, to protect my back because all my attacks are going to come from the front and I so actually- on. They actually had them like that, you know, Christian, to save money. They did have suits well, like that. Well, yeah, but but I, I think a huge percentage of the questions in anti-architects from people who have had some kind of problem, whether it is that the client wants the drawings or a problem with a consultant or a problem with that, for a huge percentage of those questions, the answer is you should have used an AIA contract because that particular item is covered in the AIA contracts. Right. And and but, to be clear, all of those knights that used that saved money with one boot or not in the back or whatever, they're all dead now. So, <laughs> can I can I say one more thing about suits of armor? Please. Please do. Please. Okay, so this is something I learned that people think people of today think that people of yesterday, these these knights were smaller because these are the ones that are still left over. But the thing is that those are just the short people who didn't really have anybody to give their coats of armor to or their their suits of armor, right? So the ones that are left over, the ones that weren't handed down like six times because they were really expensive. So that's why we think people are were a lot shorter than they were. They were really more normal size. You, know, you might see them in a museum and it's like a tiny one. It was probably like a woman's suit of armor. So is that why a lot of small firm architects don't like to think about using the AIA contract documents because they're I'm so big? I'm pretty sure it's related, yeah. Okay. I don't know how. We had to think about yeah. that. Well, I like I don't belong to the AIA, for example, so I can't use their contracts. You can. You can use them. Okay. Well, I won't use their contracts. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, um, I mean, you can you can buy them. I mean, you can. No, it's true. I have a. I, well, my attorney is like an AIA guy. Like you can. How does it work? It's like a subscription service. So for a certain right. amount of time, uh, like you can pay, I don't know how much it is a year. And then he's just on call for quick phone calls, which is actually really good because then you end up calling an attorney and then find out if it is a problem or not. Right. <clears throat> and so he has, he made up my letter of agreement, which is based on AIA contracts, but it's shorter because I don't do very complex projects. Well, but anyway. they, have, they have versions for small projects. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm joining AIA in, in October, so. Just, yeah. They heard you. They're going to call now. They keep calling but, me. Yeah. So finally, I'm going to do it. Well, I, I think, you know, Christian made the point earlier about uh, about attorneys and having attorneys on, um, an attorney or, or a couple of attorneys or whatever on the future episode of Context and Clarity Live. And I, I think that that brings up a great point. And this may be a U.S. centric, in my mind, this is a U.S. centric comment because we've got the United States of America and presumably all 50 states have their very own, um, you know, rules and regulations that are purposefully different than, than every other of the 49 other states. Um, and that is one of the uniquenesses, you know, in, I'm in Indiana and Christian's in New York and Tim's in California and Catherine's in Massachusetts and you know, what would you do if you had to, uh, or if you wanted to do work uh, in a different state? So I think that's the the whole contract. It's, it's contracts, it's code, it's license, it's all of it uh, gets, gets so complex and complicated when you start crossing borders. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I know, find the whole thing uh, fascinating personally because uh, even Zach told us that he's not a lawyer and he doesn't play one on the internet. Well, in my head, I am Perry Mason. So uh, if I were 20, 30 years younger, I would love to go back to school and also become a lawyer and specialize in the AEC uh, field. But uh, as I think uh, maybe the three of you know, I'm originally from Venezuela and the we never dealt with these things while I was there. Maybe things have changed now 37 years later, but uh, I used to say that it was because we had great weather. 
we don't have snow and ice, so nothing gets damaged. It rains, the roof gets wet, the sun comes out, and it dries. You know, we, we never had to even think about mold or, or cracks or, uh, you know, high-performance building signs kind of stuff because we are lucky to have fantastic uh, weather there. I tell people that until a few years ago, I couldn't think of how to say flashing in Spanish. I don't know that I ever drew a piece of flashing in my studies or in my three years of professional practice there. I hope that uh, those uh, listeners from other countries that will listen to this podcast will comment on this and tell us what things are like in their countries. I don't know if in Ghana you need all the kinds of things that we need here and if the society is as litigious as it is here. Yeah, that's a great point. And if you don't know this, if you're listening, you don't know this, the Entree Architect Community Facebook group is a group just for architects. So you have to be an architect or an architecture student working towards becoming an architect. And there's something, there's over 7,300, over 7,300 members. I haven't checked the exact number lately, but um, 7,300 members from around the world literally around the world, and it is not at all uncommon for us to have, during a Context and Clarity conversation, folks from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States, uh, friends from the UK, from Africa, um, from the Philippines, and from uh, Australia, New Zealand, somewhere in that corner of the world, on line with us live in real time while we have this conversation. So wherever you are in the world, outside of the U.S., we really value your perspective on these things that we talk about, whether it's risk management or anything else, because it really helps us. Uh, we, we can, we're all in our own little bubbles, of course, uh, but it really helps us get outside of, of that bubble and understand things when you can share your perspective with us. So we, we really do appreciate that when you share. What about, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of the things that Zach has said, um, our, our takeaways and things. What are your, what are your big takeaways? What are you going to take from this conversation that we had yesterday as we're recording this now, um, that we had with Zach yesterday? Is there one thing or are there two things that you're going to take and apply to your business today? Well. Can I just say something? Can I say something? And so I'm going to say that obviously yesterday I was pretty upset during the show. I felt like I could barely sit there. I couldn't take it anymore. And I like to put my head in the sand when it comes to my exposure and whatnot. So that was really upsetting. So then I thought a couple things. One, I need to talk to Zach. So right after I, I, I wrote to him and now I have a meeting with him next week so that I can feel better about things. So um, I was happy to hear that he does help people all over the country. I did wonder, how old is this guy? I have been probably practicing as, like, almost his whole, whole entire life, making huge mistakes the entire time. This man's been around. So maybe he can help me. Then I thought, I need to get another job, or I need to charge a lot more for what I do, because I hear other architects say, I don't take, uh, my fee is never less than 5000 or whatever, because of my exposure. And I've always thought, what a jerk, right? But then I'm like, what? What am I, an idiot? So, that, yeah, so... That will change, or literally, I may actually, like I said, get a new job, a new career, because I can't. It just makes me sad, you know. It like, it just makes me sad to think that that's like we don't get paid that much, relatively speaking, to all of our um, burdens that we carry, and and there's a ton of pressure. Why do we do it? I mean, I guess we do it because we love architecture. We can't imagine doing anything else, but. As I like to say, I think that's baloney schnog, and I can probably come up with something else that would be um, fulfilling for me. I can't, I don't know, maybe it's been too long. Maybe 25 years is as long as anybody should ever practice. That's well, what I, was I think, you know, there's there's something in there that we haven't even mentioned yet that's an important tenet of risk management is the money that you make it. If you, if you Google risk management for architects, wrapped up in what you in part of what you said is cash flow and your the amount of compensation 
you know, basically being paid enough. Um, so that's wrapped up in, in all of that. That's some, something that's really important to consider. If you're out there listening to this and you feel like you're not charging enough, you're probably not. If you feel like you're on this cash flow roller coaster, those are both big risks that need to be need to be managed. And, and then the questioning about about everything else. I, I totally Sorry. understand that after a, that was uh, a week like we've had. Yeah, I think our profession is almost by nature one of those that it's always feast or famine. It doesn't matter if you're a sole proprietor or a bigger firm like the the one where I used to do schools for the most time. I, I worked in that place for 14 years. At one point, it was 300 architects and engineers. You know, but it, it was also very uh, irregular. You know, some years were fantastic, other years not so much. And, and to me, right now, it's not in terms of years, but in terms of months. Some months I'm doing super well, and other months I'm not. Uh, but the whole thing of uh, insurance and risk management, even though I have been very interested in, in a, I think the word is a vicarious way, because I was just interested in the topic when I was an employee. Uh, now it's more personal. Now I have to do it. You know? And uh, I would love to talk to somebody, a lawyer, uh, that really knows the answers to my questions. You know, like, uh, I never had insurance before because I didn't need it. I have it now, but only because one client is uh, requiring it for me to work with her. And uh, But I figured, you know, if, if I'm not stamping anything, why do I need insurance? And then there seem to be a few good reasons to have it anymore. But now they're also asking me to have general liability. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, that that applies, to, like you said, for auto and personal injury and all those things. But I don't see anybody here in my Einstein office. And uh, nobody comes here. I don't go to building sites. I don't have any employees. So I don't need workers comp either. So, uh, you know... I, I realize that fortunately it's not a humongous amount of money, but why should I pay it even if it's just a little bit? Well, I think you know? I think one thing that Zach talked about, and I, and I mentioned it too, I think on, on the conversations is that if you know, say you had a fire at your house and you lost your computer and you lost, you know, and you didn't back up to the cloud or, or you lost or you backed up to a device and that device was burned or, or whatever is how do you get that back, you know, or how do you, I mean, some of you can't get back, but, um, you know, you might be able to sit there and provide some, you know, loss of, you know, business operations because of because of what happened. It's going to take you a little bit of time to, you know, get your office back going and, and whatever. Um, there's that piece. Um, theft, I mean, you could, you know, someone break in and steal records and, and that type of thing or, or whatever, or steal your computer. I mean, probably your computer and your phone are probably your two most important tools that you're using and if they're not with you all the time it's 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 a it's a risk um uh you know i i have a we have a backup that we you know we i take it home every night i I switch out the disc you know from the day before and i take it home and so at least you know between being at my house is one thing but being at the office is is the other we just keep it in a safe but then we decide it's even better just to have it go home because if we did have a fire even the fire safe might not not protect it Tim, that's so stressful. I think well, I forget to do yeah. all these things every day. You know, yeah. I, mean, it's I, I need part of it's a habit, I guess. It's part of doing business. I mean, you know, yeah. Oh, I, I need to be better at that kind of stuff. But I, if I, unless I misunderstood, I think he said that the professional liability insurance also covers some of those things. When he had the example of if you turn your house upside down, whatever falls, uh, yeah. like your computer or your desk or whatever, that it is covered by professional liability. So I don't understand why I need general as well. But yeah, we, we all should adopt uh, risk management practices for all the digital cyber stuff. Yeah. You know? I uh, thought the stuff that fell out was the general liability stuff. Yeah, I think I think the stuff that he was... Some of the stuff he talked about was you could, like, looking at your professional liability, he said your professional liability should cover bodily injury, property damage, and economic loss. But I think that's from your mistakes being doing your professional work. 
So if you sit there and you know, design something and, uh, you know, uh, there's a curb and someone trips over a curb. I mean, that's kind of a common uh, injury that, that may happen. Someone gets hurt and, uh, you know, and they sue the, the school district or sue your client. And, of course, the client's going to sue you because they've been sued or you have a name in the lawsuit because you designed that curb and that person tripped over it. Um, and then the idea about economic loss, if you're designing a restaurant and the restaurant wants to make sure that they're open for Thanksgiving and uh, because that's the biggest time, you know, biggest day of the year is, is you know, is serving people on Thanksgiving and, and you open up the day after, you know, it's kind of like it, it's, there's, there's that day that's probably their biggest day of the year and you, you know, you, because of something that you yeah, did yeah. as the architect caused it so they couldn't open in time. Um, yeah. When he talked about economic loss, I think I also kind of assumed or understood that he meant economic yeah. loss of your client because I also remember in the school world that if we didn't make the deadlines for opening day and then the school had to go and rent modular classrooms for a few months, then we were liable for at least or part of that cost. Or whatever. Yeah, but, but I thought that right after that, he, he talked about my computer and my thing. So so I'll, I'll have to listen to it a yeah. third time. But uh, well, And I, I think that's also a really good argument for this stuff is complicated. And go, if you have a question, need clarification, talk to your insurance carrier, they may say, hey, that's a that's an attorney question. Great. You need to go ask the attorney. To me, that's a big takeaway. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things, too, is Zach talked about a few times, is that he has attorneys that work all over, and that uh, I need to get that list. That's one of the things I have in my notes was I need to contact Zach because I want to talk to that attorney. I want to, you know, we, we have a business attorney, but we don't have an attorney that really deals with the professional and the architecture end of what we do in yeah. construction end. And, uh, you know, we have, we have an attorney that dealt with our partnership. Um, when I bought into Architecnica uh, and bought out one of the partners, you know, we had a purchase agreement and I have a partnership agreement with my current partner. And that was all set up by our attorney. But our attorney, I don't think, is, is really savvy in the architecture and construction yeah, and like, like again, I incorporated because I was told that it was a smart thing to do to protect my assets, and all my incorporation documents were done by an attorney, right. but not one that specializes in architecture. So I'm an LLC, and I think I see a few other members of Andre Architects who are also an LLC in New York State, but I'm not. I'm about ninety percent sure that that's okay, but I want to be a hundred percent sure because. I know I'm not a PLLC and I'm not a DPC, which is a design professional corporation, which is what I've seen a lot of people becoming since 2012. But I think that the purpose of that particular uh, platform is for firms that want to have or give ownership to somebody who is not licensed. So it happens to a lot of husband and wife uh, firms and uh, things like that. I know one firm that I used to work for, I think they were a PC for the longest time, and then they became a DPC when they wanted their marketing person to be a principal, part owner. But uh, so, and, and the kinds of things that I would like to focus on, reviewing other people's drawings and writing specs, don't necessarily require you being a licensed architect. So I, I believe that I could let go of my license and still do what I want to do. I don't know if that would be a, a smart thing, but... Uh, you may find that your insurance might go up, which is a possibility, too, is that that's something you might want to talk to someone about, too, is, is uh, you know, an unlicensed per person versus a licensed person. I know when they, they ask, they want to know how many people of our staff, when we do our renewals, how many are licensed architects? And how many, how many people do you have in your firm? And, uh, you know, the, we're five, we're a five person firm and we have four licensed architects and one person working towards licensure. Um, we were told years ago that that was a benefit to us in that we have people that are 
you know, have the knowledge and, and the experience to sit there and, and be able to better check what they're doing. Um, you know, and uh, we kind of, you know, we see that as an asset or, or for our company. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm curious to know about that. You know, I'd be curious to know about that too. If that, is that really true? Um, or am I actually over, you know, maybe I'm being paid more because I have four licensed architects, even though only two of us stamp drawings and, and specs and stuff. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, but that's something I need to ask Zach and myself. So, um, yeah, I also plan to talk to Zach a little more in the future, but, uh, yeah, all, all those are interesting topics that are not clear by any means, and I don't mm-hmm. think they're really taught in school. And uh, unless you are the owner and you start learning maybe the hard way or maybe because you have to hire somebody like Zach or something, uh, most of us employees don't learn all those details. I remember when I worked for the large firms, uh, about once a year, the the insurance people, the Zach equivalent, would come and give us a like a one-day presentation on risk management that was a mandatory attendance, at least for us who were project managers. And I assume that was part of their contract with the agent or, or maybe a requirement to get some kind of discount. Yep. And I, I would love to know what other things can architects do to not only reduce uh, risk, but maybe to reduce the cost of the insurance. You were talking about school, and the the one thing that sticks in my mind that I learned about risk management in school was that our professor claimed, this is pro practice class, our professor claimed that he was trying to get a social security number for his dog so that he could put all of his assets under his dog's name and that he never carried professional liability insurance unless a client required it and was willing to pay for it. Those are the two things I remember. That's the most ridiculous thing. Uh, Why would a professor tell the students that? That makes me so mad. Yeah, well, and then what happens when the dog dies? Who inherits all that stuff from the dog? I mean, that's the puppies. Well, I I understand the concept, but say it's not a dog because I don't think you can get a number for a dog, but but you put it all in your nephew's name. Yeah. Even if you could do that, does it work? Because like we were talking about yesterday, the nephew's not stamping anything. So you are you doing it for you? How about your spouse? I mean, I guess you can't really be married because then they can get everything that your spouse has as well if you're legally the same person, right? So then we have an argument against being married, also an argument against being licensed. So we have to go rethink our lives to this point. Anyway, I, you know, I, I think all of that culminates in an argument against being human, for that matter. Right. So, you know, it's just, just a be lot. A dog. But you know, the whole thing about if you if you put money into an invest, I mean, you you invest in something that's risky, you get a big return on it. I guess that's what I'm really focused on today. So, if we're taking so many risks, we should be getting a lot more money. Well, I think that's a, that's an argument that we that we've been told to use when we're negotiating with our clients when they sit there and have these unusual insurance requirements is you, you sit there and you question it and you go, okay, if you're going to require that of me, then I, we need to renegotiate our fee, you know, and we need to have a discussion about that because that's added cost for very little risk to anybody. And then maybe you should cover it. If you feel it's important, maybe you should cover it. Um, what's interesting is, you know, we look at the contracts that we get from school districts and they'll have all this insurance requirements. And one of the things they'll say is that all this insurance shall be paid for by the architect at no additional cost to us. But the contractor, on the other hand, when he bids a project, he's allowed to have a line item for insurance that he buys specifically for the project. And he gets to recoup that cost. And um, and so we're treated differently in, in that aspect. We're such a small percentage of the cost of the overall project anyways compared to other things that go on. And, and, and so maybe not so much in schools, but on other projects, I mean, it, we're, we're not a big cost, but we provide a lot of value. And that's the thing we have to try to sell is what value we bring to the project. 
you know, some people look at us, and even school district clients look at us as we're a necessary evil. You know, they are required by law to hire us. We're required to be involved in the project from beginning to end. They can't close the project out with the state of California without us signing off that the things were constructed per the, the approved plans. And so they can't skimp on saying, okay, we don't need you for construction administration. Um, you know, we have to be, you know, that we're required by law to be involved in that and uh, on, on school projects. And um, so they're in it for the long haul. And these projects go on four or five years at a time or, or longer, depending on how, how long it takes to get them through the process. And, uh, and then we see these requirements. They say, okay, now you need to carry a certain level of insurance, and that needs to be in place for at least three to five years after the project is complete. That's an added cost that we have to go. Now, for a firm like us, as long as it's not a huge amount, it's not a big deal because we have to continue to carry insurance as long as we're practicing. Um, and, you know, so that's really not a big deal. But when someone comes in and says, oh, you need to have $5 million or $10 million of professional liability insurance throughout the life of the project plus three to five years afterwards, that's a big cost because we're you know, normally we carry one to two million, and that's basically it. So, um. Um, I want to say about what we didn't ask. One thing we didn't talk about yesterday <clears throat> that people wanted to ask about was, um, you know, Sarah Lee's situation, where the people want to sell her or buy her, or what is her liability for someone just taking her plans of the house that she designed. So, I would love to have someone on, like maybe as Christian says, an attorney who could talk about that like how what her what her you know how does she react to all that someone is stealing her plans or just deciding that it belongs to them the client decides it belongs to them and they're going to sell it the way they want to and how can she stop that and what you know anyway i would like to talk about more we didn't get to talk about that i was glad to see that uh Charlie posts very uh relevant comments about this but in this particular case she says that her contract was not an AIA contract, and that since then she has always used the AIA contract. Because uh, so, I think she is doing the smart thing because that is specifically addressed in I think every version of the AIA contracts that you, the architect, are the owner of the drawings and the, the electronic files and all that kind of stuff, and uh, that what you're selling is the right for a builder to use them one time. If you want to do it differently, because again, like Zach said, the AI contracts are a template, then you intentionally modify that and says, okay, you can use it two times, or okay, I will give you electronic files and whatever, but you have to sign this kind of waiver or whatever, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it has to be something that you and your client understand that is going to happen and not come up as a surprise uh, years later, like yeah. appears to be the case for her. Well, and in the case of like for for California architects doing schools, the plans are owned by the school districts. They, they, the plans themselves, however, they can, their intent is so that they can use them for their facilities purposes and um and but there is a piece of law that says if they decide they want to reuse the plans for another project they don't necessarily have to go back to you as the architect of record to be the architect on that next project however they must indemnify you if they reuse them and have another architect take them over and so um we don't like that provision, but it's written into state law. Um, it's in the California Education Code. And so, um, and they actually, there have been cases where school districts have developed a set of plans with an architect. They like them really well, and they decide to reuse them on their own campuses or other campuses, but then they've also gone ahead and sold them to other school districts to use. And, uh, that's kind of crazy, and we've seen that happen. And sometimes they go back to that architect who originally designed it, and they hired that school district will hire that architect to do that project and site adapt it. But it is possible that they could go ahead and have 
another architect to take on that project. Of course, we would be indemnified, but I mean, how, you know, who knows how good that is? I mean, you know, they're, they're supposed to protect us and hold us harmless, but they could decide, oh, well, you still made a mistake or something and you're still going to be liable. It really comes down to is what the, what an attorney or what the courts will decide if it ever got to court. We used to have an, sorry, we used to have a requirement that, uh, people who wanted our electronic files and, and, uh, this was in the AutoCAD days, not BIM, so I don't know how it would work with BIM, but, uh, contractors that wanted our drawings in order to prepare their shop drawings had to pay us a certain amount of drawing per sheet that they wanted, plus signed a release saying that, uh, they were not going to hold us responsible if anything was inaccurate or whatever, that we were just letting them use the drawings for their convenience. And, uh, the justifications for the money was not only greed, I guess, but the fact that we had to remove our title block, remove the stamp of the architect who was stamping them, uh, maybe explode a lot of uh, stuff, bind all the XRFs into it so that it would be usable. And it also had a paragraph saying that if they wanted, like, the mechanical drawings, they had to talk to our mechanical consultant who might decline to share the drawings with them. You know, we, we could give them our drawings, but not those of our consultants. I think this just keeps muddier, getting muddier yeah. and muddier the more we talk about it. Well, you know, Christian, I just did that yesterday. So, I mean, we have a project, we have a project right now, and the contractor asked us for CAD files from our civil engineer and for our plans. And because of what gets muddy, because it's a school district project, technically they didn't have to ask us. They could have gone to the school district and asked the school district to request it of us, and we would have had to have given it to them. You know, and so um, we have them sign a release, and uh, you know, and we give them the cat, we give them the cat files. You know, it's just like even though we do in BIM, we convert it over to AutoCAD, and and but our disclaimer in our in our agree in our electronic file transfer agreement says that uh, the files that govern are the approved plans from the state, and if there's any little little discrepancies in the CAD files or whatever. If they don't match what's at the on the state level, we're not responsible, you know. And uh, they need to continue to refer back to the state approved plans because something can happen when you translate them over, you know. They, something can go out of whack, and uh, but it helps them do what they need to do. This was for the surveyor to lay out and do the layout work, and um, and but it also it is sometimes the shop drawings for fire sprinkler or you know mechanical or whatever. Um, we haven't had a lot of pushback from any of our consultants on that, so I think we've been fortunate on that, but I can see it happening. Um, but I think because it's schoolwork in the sense that the district does technically own the drawings, um, it really isn't worth having that argument. You know, just go ahead, put it over. That's um, <laughs> another argument for talking about specifics with with your insurance carrier, with attorneys. So we'll, I'm going to, I've got a couple of names in mind now that we're talking uh, for potential guests, attorneys to come on to context and clarity. But I, I think this is the, to me, that's one of the big takeaways is as an architect, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And it seems to be moving target probably isn't fair, but it's, it's the targets are very, very specific. It seems so. I really appreciate both of you, Christian and uh, Tim, coming on and joining us for this conversation. Lots, lots to unpack. Again, I felt bad about having to limit our conversation with Zach to an hour. Now, I think we could probably keep this conversation going for a, a few hours, but uh, <laughs> but you you all need to get back to managing your yeah. risks. So yeah. <laughs> um, so thanks for thanks for joining Catherine and I backstage here and breaking this conversation down, sharing what your takeaways were. Um, and um, I, I think it's it, it, a lot of what we've talked about probably resonates with everybody that's going to listen to this on the future, in the future on this uh, podcast and as uh, part of the context and clarity in the Entree Architect community. So, so thanks for joining us. Uh, Catherine, as always, thanks for uh, joining me and mm. keeping the wheels on the bus, so to speak. 
Yeah, I, I keep thinking I'm taking them off them lately, taking the wind <laughs> off lately, but it's okay. Maybe that's the underlying goal. I don't know, uh, but it's it's good to question those things. It's good to to ask the questions that we're all asking. Um, a little heads up about next week: we're changing gears. This week we've been talking about uh, risk management all week. Our guest for Context and Clarity Live next week will be Pat Flynn. That may be a name that uh, many people recognize, maybe not, but Pat started out as an architect. He lost his job in the Great Recession. From there, somehow, and it's it's a very interesting story, I think I'm actually going to ask Pat to tell us his backstory, which I don't often do, but I think it's so, uh, I think it'll resonate so well with so many architects that I'll probably ask him to actually tell his backstory, but he lost his job in the Great Recession found this thing called passive income, has now built this empire around smart passive income, which is his brand. And it all started with him basically selling his study guide for the lead exam. So I think um, I think there's a lot there for architects to latch on to. So next week, we'll probably talk about different business models, certainly passive income. And then on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I hope you'll join us live on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, or Twitch, as we have a conversation with Pat Flynn. So, again, thanks to uh, to Christian and Tim for joining us here backstage, for Catherine joining me live and here backstage, and uh, all of you listening in and participating in all of these conversations. Uh, I think these are valuable resources that we're, uh, that we're developing here, and uh, I have no doubt that our conversation with Pat next week will be the same. So to all of you out there in podcast land, thank you for listening. Uh, Subscribe wherever you are so that you can keep getting these podcasts delivered to you, both the live version, which comes out on Monday afternoon, our conversation with our special guests of the week, and the backstage version, which you're listening to right now, which comes out on Tuesday afternoon. So thanks to all of you, everybody. Uh, and and everywhere and i hope you have a great weekend if that's what's on tap for you right now and i hope you'll join us again next week so thanks everybody we'll see you somewhere sometime soon all right well now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned but what did you think what did we miss i really hope that there was some big takeaway from the context and clarity live conversation or from our breakdown right here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or on Twitter and let me know what your takeaways were. You can find me on all the socials at Jeff underscore Eccles. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast and leave us an honest review and rating. Those things really help us to get the message out and help us to help more architects just like you. Oh, and follow Context and Clarity on Instagram as well. There you can get a heads up on everything that's coming up. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity live again with a new special guest and a new theme for next week. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's also the home of context and clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday, At 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics just like this and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other 
find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.